Namaskar and welcome to NFL Masala. I'm your co-host Sanant. And I'm your other co-host Rakshak. Welcome to episode number 46 of NFL Masala, where we talk about all the latest happenings in the NFL with a little bit of spice. How you doing today, my man? I'm pretty good, bro. How about you? Uh, not too bad. Um, before that, I just want to wish everyone a happy 4th of July, which has already passed, and um, mm. happy other holidays that we've been missing out on. Yep, yep, yep. So how was your 4th of July weekend? Oh, not too bad. Um, I was actually hoping for... So funny story is like I was actually on July 4th. I went to this um, gorgeous area in Post and Kill, um, in Al- like basically upstate near Albany, uh, with a couple of coworkers and some friends. Um, we relaxed. We found this big gorge area. We were swimming for a bit. I was hoping to see fireworks in the night, but there were some thunderstorms, so they was postponed to the following day. But the, technically, you cannot have a Fourth of July when you don't have fireworks. That's my take. What about That's yours? Fair. Oh, pretty good. We went up to Montreal and then we came down for the 4th of July fireworks in New York. Very interesting experience. We were all crowded because we had to, we went to one of the public viewing spots. Um, ah. The where is it? Grant Plaza in um, near like Long Island City ish. Okay. Like so, area. yeah. So you're like in Long Island then. No, 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 not Long Island. Um, it's in Queens. It's oh, in you're in Kirk. okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's one of the yes. by the way, for those that are hearing talking about Queens, this is actually one of the five boroughs of New York City. Yeah, I, I have to know this because I work in New York now. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. yeah, it like just quick Manhattan, Queens, Staten Island, Brooklyn, and the Bronx. Boom, there you go. And I have someone, someone will probably, some one of the viewers will tell me like, no, this is wrong. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, you're absolutely correct. Um, But yeah, going back to the story, uh, we had, we had to crowd in and I think there was probably a couple thousand people at the same area. So our view of the fireworks was unfortunately blocked by a, an old grain mill that still was there as a, I don't know, an architectural piece or something. So we could only see about half of the fireworks. And initially it was a drone show that we completely missed because that was blocking us. But uh, fortunately for us, yeah. So the first 10 minutes of the 40 minutes-ish show was a drone show. And they went through... Uh, you know, the American flag, Statue of Liberty, all the all that st- fun stuff uh, for the 4th of July. And then they had the fireworks show. Oh. So that was a very interesting take on the 4th, 4th of July celebration. And the fun stuff hadn't even happened yet. It was mm. getting out of that area, which took us almost an hour. So our place was about two and a half miles away from the park. So we decided instead of walking... Let's either get an Uber or let's take the subway, Hmm. right? Okay. So did everybody else. So much so that NYPD officers had to, uh, you know, allow maybe five people at a time into the subway tunnels when there was maybe 600 people waiting to get in at each of the tunnel entrances, uh, subway entrances. 
um, near one of the main stations there. So that caused a huge ruckus. So we had to find our way to the nearest subway station that wasn't overcrowded. Mm -hmm. And we had to walk about a mile in the opposite direction to get to that subway station. Then we, you know, we went up, we got on the train. Yeah. And it was as if we were in Mumbai riding the commuter trains every day. Oh my God. Like it was that crowded. You could not breathe. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was such an interesting journey that you could only have experienced in New York or in another crowded city like Mumbai or something like that. Yeah. Right? It, it was, <laughs> I don't think I've ever experienced a 4th of July like that. And I probably don't think I'll ever do, uh, experience it like that either. But yeah, Goodness. that was my weekend. Alrighty. So with that being said, let's actually talk about what we're going to talk about in this episode yes. today. We are going to do a breakdown of the AFC East division. Now, as you might have uh, noticed, we have not talked about the NFC East division right now, and that's because we are trying to bring on a special guest. So we're just trying to work out the scheduling and all the logistics, and because of that, we're uh, we have to push the NFC East episode out for another week. And so we have started the AFC conference uh, division so far, and the first one on the block is the AFC East Division. So we'll be doing a breakdown of that after some Dhamakadar news. Let's get so, to it. First bit of Dhamakadar news. It's related to Tom Brady. Oh dear, and, what did he do? And it's not really just about what he did, it's about what happened to him. He apparently, uh, while after accepting stock in the endorsement deal that he had with uh, FTX, the famous uh, cryptocurrency exchange that filed for bankruptcy in November, the report came out that he lost nearly $30 million in the collapse of the FTX company. Oh, um, God. And it consisted almost entirely of stock. So, yeah. <laughs> that was not good. And apparently, mm. according to CNBC, FTX's bankruptcy filing indicated that it had more than 100,000 creditors, uh, meaning people who deposited money in, and mm -hmm. with assets in the range of 10, to billion, uh, 10 billion to $50 billion, and the liabilities in the same range of 10 billion to $50 billion. So basically, it was not managed well. And Tom Brady was a casualty of the collapse of FTX. Um, Goodness. So I feel bad for him. I mean, a lot of celebrities were caught up uh, mm. in the disaster that was FTX. FTX. So, yeah, that's that bit of uh, football news there. And funnily enough, on ESPN, yeah. it, shows, it, it showed up in the subsection for the Patriots page. <laughs> uh, as a news item. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Breaking news, Patriots fans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Speaking and now, and with another, and from my end, um, you know, Super Bowl, the, the, that last Super Bowl, um, the one in which the Eagles lost 35 38, and I thought was a really good game between them and the Chiefs. 
Um, I remember I had like one of my biggest concerns was the field, right? At State Farm, where it was mm -hmm. so sloppy. Like there were players that are openly criticizing about the state of the field. Apparently, the NFL hasn't believes the other issue may have been at play. And this is according to Joseph Zucker of Bleacher Report, who um in his article he says like and uh, and he quoted like with pro talk pro football talks Mike Florio reported that the league blames the players for not wearing the right shoes. And Florio noted that some Eagles players changed their cleats in the middle of the game, but that didn't seem to matter. And quote unquote the sod father, <laughs> that's a nickname for the minor for the groundskeeper, um, George Toma. Um, who's the groundkeeper who advised the NFL on Super Bowl turf since the e event's inception? It didn't take for fans to become very familiar with the 94 year olds as the players increasingly lost their footing. You know, like there was a game where the Eagles were unable to get to Mahomes, they were slipping and sliding on like the field, they couldn't reach out to him. And apparently, he said, like, and then guess what? Weeks later, Thomas said that the blame laid squarely with the NFL field director, Ed Mangum. The playing field at State Farm Field can be rolled in and out of the venue. And he didn't let, and apparently the field, the NFL field director did not let the field dry enough outside after it was last watered on Wednesday before the Super Bowl. And it was sanded two weeks too late. And, and this is what Thomas says, said uh, Toma, T-O-M-A. And I quote, he had only one sanding. He should have had two or three sandings, but he didn't do ish. And that was it. And not only that, he didn't take care of it. He wouldn't listen to anyone. And the NFL said that the field ultimately passed inspection and was deemed good enough to play on. Oh. I don't all know I can say is, is I all I can know. say is there's a yeah. conspiracy, damn it. <laughs> oh, but there's one person who I solely blame for this. I know the field is one aspect of it, and James Bradbury with that passing interference on um Corvette Corvette Jojo Smith Schuster. There's one person I hold responsible, Anand. You know him clearly well. Mm -hmm. And I'm calling you on Jonathan Gannon for ruining our lives. That one special day, the day after my birthday, we could have I the Super Bowl victory would have been icing on the top. But no, you take no accountability for it. You show no adjustments. And and that thing with the Cardinals. Uh, just move on, please. I'm about to. Yeah. Yeah. We I I was feeling I was sensing another rucksack rant. So yeah, um, it's just the NFL doesn't want to uh hold itself accountable for their mistakes. So rinse and repeat. Is there Rich a story? No, I got the. I finally found the word for it. I called collusion on that. <laughs> uh, all righty. So that's our Katsuda story for the for the week for this episode. Uh, let's move on to a little bit of brighter news. Mark Ingram, 
who is who was the Saints running back, is now joining Fox Sports as an analyst, especially on uh, specifically on the Big Noon Kickoff Show, beginning oh. this fall. Yeah, and awesome. he said, mm-hmm. he yeah. said that uh, he can't wait to feel the energy and excitement every Saturday alongside some of the most talented and entertaining names in our sport at the biggest games in college football. So, uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, let's see if he's better than the previous Saints player who was on Deuce TV. Deuce McCall. No. Oh, Reggie Bush. Oh, no, I, was, I wasn't talking about Reggie Bush. I was talking about Drew Brees. Drew Brees. Yeah. How he, he, was, he came on to NBC. No, 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 not college. Oh. NFL, NFL, NFL. Okay. But, yeah. Um, yeah, in, in terms of college football analytics, uh, or sorry, analysis, yeah, let's see how he compares with Reggie Bush. I mean, he's been very successful in that arena, so uh, yeah. let's see if you know Mark Ingram has similar charisma and talent and uh, TV spokesmanship ability to be on that show, definitely. And and for those that don't know who Mark Ingram was, um, I still know him because I feel so old right now, Anant, I feel like a grandpa, but. Anyways, like Mark Ingram, when I saw him playing college football with the Alabama Crimson Tide, he was one of their best running back threats. Like, this guy could power through, get past the first level or the second level, and then speed, and then just speed through it, man. He was so fun to watch. But um, but when he was with the Saints, like, I wish he could have had more opportunities to, to play, but when he was on the field... He was very effective, but then again, unfortunately, with the injury situation, his playing has regressed. And um, I just and I wish nothing but the best for him. But I really wish um, he was used the right way uh, as a running back. And um, yeah, I got nothing else. And if if this is it from if this is where Mark Ingram wants to go, and he wants to end his playing career on that, then I wish him nothing but the best and congratulations on a wonderful career. That's my yep. take on that. Well said. Well said. Alrighty, let's move on to the next one. And last but not least, we have another Kachara moment. This time again with the, dealing with the Eagles. I don't know what's going on with that team, but apparently it's there. And apparently Deshaun Jackson was quoted on an interview. Um, he said that this is not the and and this according to Sports Illustrated on July 1st, um, but with Mike Fisher. Um, he said that basically Deshaun Jackson has ripped Chip Kelly again, and it won't be the last. And then he said, like and he said um or that week, um, I don't respect Chip Kelly during which he did put together two, success, two successful seasons starting in 2013 after taking over from Mandy Reid. And he, and then before he crashed down as a head coach of the Eagles and then the 49ers. Remember, Chip Kelly's coaching record is 20-35, and 35, but it was, he did not like – he's not about the numbers, but it was about the decisions that Chip Kelly made, which I also blame Chip Kelly for. After all, you're cutting Deshaun Jackson after a standout year in that only season – you want to know what Deshaun Jackson's um, numbers were? Go ahead. 82 receptions, 1,332 yards, and nine touchdowns. And then he was cut by Chip Kelly after one year, according to, well, like, quote-unquote, gang connections and the like. 
And this is the same one, and this is also the same year that they also cut LaShawn McCoy, Mike Michael Vick, and Jeremy Macklin. How was Chip Kelly still the coach of that team? You, there's no way you get rid of that offensive team. You just don't. I know what happened the following years. We sucked for that. And then you wanted to make that blockbuster trade to get Marcus Mariota. Like, and then, and he said, like, he, and he said, like, he, and then apparently Deshaun Jackson said that he intentionally signed with the Washington Redskins back then, following the release so that he could play against Chip Kelly twice a year. And he was right. In his in his five games against the Eagles, he was Deshaun Jackson was five and one against them. Twenty four catches, five hundred sixty nine yards, and three touchdowns. And yeah, Deshaun Jackson took that personally. I don't blame the guy for doing that, and it makes me hate Chip Kelly even more because I mean, of course, he had like that crazy um. Uh, that crazy type of offense he was running with back in Oregon. But the fact that he wanted to, I mean, he tried bringing that with Philadelphia that one year, it nearly worked. We won the, and we won the division, but we couldn't beat the saints in the first round. And I know like, okay, let's see what we can got. But the fact that you released Sean McCoy, you cut the shot, you cut Desha Michael Vick, you cut Deshaun Jackson, you cut LaShawn McCoy, and how and how the hell are you going to run your offense? You think you're going to amass a bunch of picks and trade away like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and other great players in order to get Marcus Mariota in the draft? Dude, that's a fireable offense. And I'm so happy how they were able to act upon it. And thank God Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and other players that weren't cut by Chip Kelly as part of that quote-unquote trade were still on the team. Because without that, you would have not won the Super Bowl against the Patriots. And I still wish we'd have had Deshaun Jackson because that would have been a lot of fun to watch. Just saying. I'm doing my rant. Okay. All righty. <laughs> it seems like we need a Rexac rant special in every episode. Like, honestly, like, just to see how the lack of accountability has come from, like, ex-coaches and ex-players, it kind of riles, like, fans like myself. It, like, especially, like, hey, if your team is not doing good, you call them out on that. And if you're seeing some shady, pardon my French, everyone, shady shady chocolate, then, I mean, then you have to ask, like, who the hell is taking accountability for it? Why have you not acted upon it? That's, that's like my, that's my thing on that. If we need to rant to talk, to bring up such issues like this in the NFL, that on why our teams are not doing well, it needs to be shown. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> I agree 100%. We as fans have to hold our teams and the NFL organization accountable, you know, but at the end of the day, they are the people that are in charge. So okay. as long as, you know, anyways, now, Let's move on to the breakdown of the AFC East division, starting with the Patriots, those stinking Patriots, seven-time Super Bowl champion, whatever, whatever, or six-time Super Bowl champions, excuse me, yada, yada, yada. What have they done this offseason? Well, they brought your fa uh, favorite TikTok star in Juju Smith-Schuster, Lakshak, 
on a three-year, $25 million deal. Mm -hmm. They brought in Trace McSurley as a backup QB, Anthony Ferkser and Mike Gesicki as tight ends, and a couple of other backups. Oh, I'm so quaking in my boots, like literally. <laughs> oh, JoJo Smith-Schuster, if he's going to make another TikTok video on Game 1, He's in for a road awakening. That's 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 going to be an interesting thing to see, just to see if the Belichick culture can rub off on Juju Smith-Schuster or if he's just going to be his own star. You know, let's yeah. let's see that. Um, in terms of re-signings, they did retain Jonathan Jones on a two-year deal. Jabril Peppers, a safety on a two-year deal. Jalen Mills, your former Eagle, uh, as a slot uh, corner on a one-year deal and a couple of backup D linemen and linebackers. So basically, they retained their offensive, uh, sorry, defensive players, and then they uh, acquired several offensive players. And the funny thing is, they acquired two tight ends after just signing two other tight ends oh, two yeah. years ago with Janu Smith and. Um, uh, who was the other dude? And Hunter uh, Henry. Hunter Henry. There we go. Right? Hunter mm -hmm. Henry, he's still as the, you know, number one tight end. Hunter Henry still there. Mike Kosicki still there. And now, uh, or Hunter Henry, Mike Kosicki, and Anthony Ferks are now all there. And they're all like 27 to 29. Now, in a deep tight end class, the top 10 tight ends you could get as starters. They didn't draft, and you know, going into the draft now, they didn't even draft one tight end. Yeah, I'm looking at not that. even like, one what? tight end. I'm so shocked. I'm like, this is one of the few drafts where you actually have a stud tight end to pick from. Right. And it could be. I think yeah. they could have picked one on um, during UDFAs, but then again, free agency. There's no end to it. So. Right, but keep an eye out on that. Yeah, but the, the the problem with these uh two tight end signings is they're not multi year deals; they're just one year signings. So what are they hoping to uh you know to produce from this position from these players? I don't know. Eat, pray, love. Kind of like that. <laughs> That's the anti Belichick motto right there. <laughs> Belichick is like shut up and do hard work. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it, it's still baffling that in the draft they had 12 players selected they had 12 players selected and now one of them is a tight end like wouldn't you want to secure your future by getting someone like a darnell washington or someone like that oh god an extra offensive lineman oh um, yeah darnell washington would have been a great fit for that team Especially if they have Hunter Henry as their starting pass catching tight end, mm -hmm. right? Or someone like um, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, or not even Mike Meyer. Michael Meyer is like the perfect replacement for Gronk. Maybe I mean, not as to... good of a blocker as Gronk, but yeah, still a fantastic receiving option. This is great for Mac Jones, who, you know, has been wishy-washy as a QB. Mediocre at best. Yeah. And and I'm, and I'm going to – and I have a strong take on Mac Jones. Um, yeah. I 
and, okay, and I know a lot of people are going to calm down me, and I, especially Patriots fans. And I know I'm going to say this with a grin in my face, but to be honest, Mac Jones had a lot of help in his college year, in this collegiate years at Alabama. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had he had Waddle, he had Jalen Waddle, he had a good amount of. He had a stupid amount of running backs. Najee Harris before. Najee Harris, yeah, and I don't know if it was um the recent the the one that the Lions signed, Damien Harris. Damien. No, 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 who's... no, not him, not him. Yeah, but um, and also Devonte Smith, Mister Heisman Trophy winner himself, is like, yeah, you kind of got helped because you because of that, and I mean, to be honest, I feel like Mac Jones got carried by it was carried by that offense, but I'm just going to say that Mac Jones was carried into gang signing into being drafted by the Patriots. Yeah, honestly. I mean, <clears throat> but then again, you just need a competent quarterback to help you win games and majority of it. So, well, that's true, but the Patriots are not just about winning games, right? It's about winning championships. That's the legacy that they've built. They're not the Browns. That's a pretty they're okay, not, that's they're a not breaking legacy Jaguars. right there. Right, but that's the legacy that has been formed. Right, okay. That's what their fans ex- uh, expect. Their fans mm-hmm. expect championships. They they expect victory. They expect winning. Right, that That's what they expect. That's the legacy that has been built. So if you're not up to par, that means what are you doing? What What are you doing to... Are you trying to change your legacy? Are you saying that, you know, we're not a winning team? I, I don't know which NFL team would do that, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're expecting multiple championships from the Jaguars. You're not. Yeah. They're just not a championship winning team. Not yet, at least. They're improving. They're doing well. They're, you know, getting, uh, you know, division, you know, leads and stuff like that. But they're not a championship winning team. But, you know, the New England Patriots have a pedigree for that. Why do so many people want the Dallas Cowboys to be successful? Because they had a pedigree of winning, right? 49ers, they had a pedigree of winning. The Steelers, they had a legacy of winning. So it's important for these teams who have moved on from those other previous generations, especially the Patriots, to try and stand up to the legacy. But I just don't think the Patriots are doing enough. Mm -hmm. Yes, in the draft, they were extremely lucky that Christian Gonzalez fell to them and they would have been insanely stupid if they didn't select him. And they, at least they'd selected Christian Gonzalez because he is probably, he was like the best player on the board at that time. So they selected him, but then they selected Keon white. Who's a defense, uh, decent, you know, edge setter ish, uh, defensive edge in the second round. They selected the in, inside linebacker in Marte Mapu in the third. Jake Andrews, the center. Chad Ryland, who's uh, a kicker in the fourth. Sidney Sow, uh, a guard. Antonio Mafia, guard. Keishon Butte, a wide receiver in the sixth. A punter, then a wide receiver, and then two cornerbacks uh, to round out their draft. So... They focused a lot on defense. They focused uh, several on the offensive line, but more in the later rounds. Um, and then they brought in a couple of wide receivers. But 
is that going to be enough to kickstart this campaign, especially in this division where you have the Bills with Josh Allen, you have the Dolphins, you have now the Jets with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this is a this is a sneak peek into the division rankings, but I just don't think they've done enough. And I'll tell you why. Like, before we, I move on to uh, the areas that they have to improve on from last year, let's just wrap up a little bit of the uh, firings that has happened, who, ha- yeah. who they've released, traded, and some staff movements. So in terms of releases, they released Nelson Aguilar, a wide receiver. Damian Harris, running who back. Who couldn't catch. Yes, who couldn't catch. <laughs> Unlike um, <laughs> Jacoby Myers, wide receiver. Uh, Brian Hoyer, Isaiah Wynn, and Joan Williams. So they lost two of their starting uh, wide receivers, their starting running back, backup QB, backup tackle, and a backup, uh, probably a slot corner. And then they also traded Johnny Smith to Atlanta for a seventh round pick in which they selected Isaiah Bolden, who's a cornerback. Uh, they also had a massive draft day trade with the Pittsburgh Steelers for the number 14 overall pick. Uh, so yeah, where they gave the number 14 overall pick that the Patriots had. They moved down to the Steelers pick for number 17 and a fourth round pick. And then at number 17, they got um, Christian Gonzalez. So yeah, that's mainly it from their major um, major pieces that have been depart uh, that have departed. Also, in terms of staff movement, they finally removed Matt Patricia from the god awful two person co you know offensive coordinator nonsense to just having Bill O'Brien as the main uh, offensive coordinator. Right? That has never worked. It's never worked. It never will work. Just stop doing it. Okay, just 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 stick to what has been proven, and th- and that's hiring a main offensive coordinator, right? And so they have that in Bill O'Brien now. Mm-hmm. Um, now, on things to improve on, the reason why I had made such a big issue about have they done enough to improve on from last year, especially in their offensive department, is because they were pretty. Terrible. They were mediocre from Patriot standards, right? E- uh, their offense was, at least. Um, taking a look, at, so they were 24th overall in uh, offensive DVOA, 23rd in pass, and 21st in rushing DVOA. Taking a look at their passing stats, uh, they were 20th in completed air yards per completion. Um 15th in yards after catch per completion, 13th on on target percentage or how many throws the quarterback made that were completed that were actually on target that, you know, the wide receiver didn't have to move out or uh, sorry, this is just overall throws. Uh, How many of them were on target with where the wide receiver or the other receiver should have been right? 14th in drop percentage or how many times the receiver dropped the pass 15th in pass block win rate, and the worst is uh, 25th in adjusted sack rate. So this really shows that their offensive line wasn't very consistent and leaked a decent amount of pressure. The wide receiver production was lackluster, and the scheme emphasized shorter throws, which didn't really help in explosiveness. Right? It, it, it was decent in their on-target percentage, but 
you could see that their wide receiver production wasn't that great. They, they were 14th or basically league average in drop percentage, 15th in uh, yak per completion. You can see with the shorter throws, 20th in completed air yards per completion. So that's in like the bottom third of the league. So that's not good if you're trying to be one of the better teams, especially in a crowded place like the AFC, especially when you have quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert and uh, Trevor Lawrence and all of these high-flying offenses that exist in the AFC. You can't just win on a good defense, right? Mm, Um, And if you look at the tape, it really confirms the stats, especially the quarterback play, right? Going back to what you said about Mac Jones being a mediocre QB, being carried, especially during his Alabama years, by that fantastic cast, you can see why it makes sense. Because if you have a mediocre cast like they do here with a lot of number two and number three wide receivers, a decent running back in, uh, especially before in uh, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, decent tight end group, um, not really star tight ends or anything of that nature, and an okay offensive line. Your quarterback is the one who should be standing out, who should be leading that offense. But that's not what Mac Jones did, right? He was he was pretty ineffective as a as a leading QB. And you could really see, especially from the tape at that quarterback play. Their rushing is also pretty similar. I mean, both of their offensive groups were mediocre. Right, if you looked at their deeper rushing stats, especially their O-line stats, 19th in adjusted line yards, 27th in power rank, or that means, so for the Football Outsiders uh, company that devises these DVOA metrics, power means the amount of uh, times or, or the uh, percentage of success that the offensive line has for pushing the defensive line back one to two yards. So that's their power uh, situation, which makes sense because the offensive line, that's what their job is, right? Especially when you're running, your job as an offensive line is to move the defensive line back as much as possible so that the running back can, you know, or running back or wide receiver or the ball carrier has the ability to make plays deeper down the field and you can progress the ball even more in your running game. If your offensive line doesn't do that much, that means you're, it's all on the running back and the scheme to uh, make that headway in the running back, uh, in, in the rushing uh, yardage. So 27th in power means their offensive line didn't really do that much when it came to goal line and when it came to single or two-yard situations. And it was really on the scheme and their running backs. They were 50, 25th in stuffing percentage. Uh, how many times the running back got stuffed? So if you are, you know, if you have a lower percentage, that means you're better. If you have a higher percentage, that means you're worse, right? That means your offensive line isn't doing a good job of blocking the oncoming defensive rush. But it shows that they were 10th in RB yards or the actual statistic for uh, yards per carry. Um, and then ninth in second level yards and sixth in open field yards. All right. 
So this means that the O-line wasn't doing their job. And they weren't the main reason for whatever rushing success the Patriots had. It was really their running backs, Damien Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. As a pair, they were able to uh, get past the D-line more effectively than what the uh, offensive line could produce. Right, and That's why the rushing was really on the uh, running backs. So for me... For what the Patriots have to do this year is they have to improve their offensive scheme to not put so much pressure on their running backs by improving their O-line and balancing it more with the proper passing scheme. Now, the problem is uh, one of the things that they did was removing Matt Patricia. That's good. Like you're having Bill O'Brien reinstalled as the main offensive coordinator. Maybe he can do something with that where he can actually improve the offense this way. But Let's see if their other offensive changes can improve this too. Like they did lose on Nelson Aguilar, Damian Harris, and Jacoby Myers, but they did get back uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, right? They lost Johnny Smith, but they picked up two more tight ends. So let's see if this is good. I don't really know if it's going to be... Anything better? Maybe they hit the top 20 overall. Um, but I really don't. I just don't think they did enough. All right? If you have a quarterback of Mac Jones caliber, mm-hmm. you need strong receiving pieces. So when a player like JSN is on the board at 17, why didn't you select him? Or last year? When um, when you have, uh, oh my God, when you have that uh, crop of wide receivers that all went in uh, the first and the early second rounds, or the previous year, or the year before, like these past four years, they could have really built up their pipeline of wide receivers well, right? Uh, they could have gotten a pretty decent running back uh, this draft too in probably Zach Charbonnet uh, in, in, in the second round, but they didn't, right? So I just don't think they've done enough. Let's see if they have. Um, sometimes teams can surprise you, right? And mm-hmm. do more than what they were pushed uh, put on paper, and that's up to the coaching, right? Coaching is all about having the pieces that you have on paper and excelling what they what they're expected to do right doing more than what they're expected to do that's where coaching comes in as a player you have your role right but as a coach you're supposed to take that player and do something that they haven't done before like that's the mark of a great coach like finding all the pieces that work together and excelling in that place exceeding expectations now speaking of exceeding expectations their defense was fantastic, right? And it's pretty much the case for most of the Patriots' years. It's really their defense that carried that team into the playoffs and into the later rounds of the playoffs. But it was really the offense that pushed it, and Tom Brady specifically, that pushed that team into the great teams that they were, right? Uh, yes, they did have help from uh, referees and all of that stuff. But if you take a look back at their success, their success was predicated on 
defense keeping it close, their offense managing to win games in the regular season, and it comes to playoff, crunch time, discipline, make every play count type of an offense, and then just having Tom Brady being the great quarterback that he is, is not making mistakes. But the problem is Mac Jones is not Tom Brady. You can't expect him to be Tom Brady. right? So you have to manufacture that production somewhere else. No, I just don't think they have done that. Anyways, let's move on to the defense. As I mentioned before, their defense was spectacular. And in, as usual, it's much better than the offense. They were third in overall DVOA, second against the pass, and ninth against the rush. Their fantastic pass defense just got better with the addition of Christian Gonzalez. Right? They were already sixth in adjusted net yards uh, per attempt allowed, third in expected points added, fourth in uh, interception percentage and fifth in completion percentage allowed. So that's fantastic numbers for pass defense. That was widely, you know, pretty okay. They didn't have that many star players. I mean, they had Kyle Duggar, who was a second round uh, phenomenon as a strong safety, especially amongst, you know, the football nerd community, those who really uh, invested in looking at these players from a statistical standpoint and wasn't just, you know, a casual viewer. He was very good. Jonathan Jones, for his age, was surprisingly efficient. Um, and then they just had a, an overall really effective and efficient cornerback group that just got supercharged with the addition of Christian Gonzalez. Right, So I expect their pass defense to be as great, if not greater, than last year. Their rush defense does need to improve a little bit. They were 17th in adjusted line yards. And um, their rush defense was mainly because of their D-line. Right? They were 19th in power allowed and, uh, and 31st in stuff percentage. But they were 4th in second level yards and 3rd in open field yards. That means their linebacking core is extremely good against the run. It's their D-line that's the issue. And I just don't think that they've done enough. They still have Devon Godchaz and nose tackle, Dietrich Wise Jr. and Lawrence Guy as the defensive ends. So they run a base 3-4, which means their linebackers are actually the stars of the show, right? They have Jawan Bentley, who really came out of nowhere um, and was really good run stuffing linebacker they have matthew judon who's a really good pass rusher and run ed setter josh uche jelani tavai um, these are all players in the linebacking core that were really good against the run as you can see with these stats uh but the d-line was the main issue here so for me i just don't see many improvements other than getting a decent edge rusher and edge setter in keon white in the second round so let's see if they actually improve the D-line rotation and the defensive scheme improves against the rush specifically. Their pass is fantastic. It's it I I accept it's gonna be I expect it's gonna be even better. But I don't know. I just uh I just think that they have a lot to improve on, on the D-line and on the O-line. So it's really the two lines that are the issue. And what do what does everybody say at Akshak? Build well, the build on build through the trenches exactly build through the trenches i'm and and i'm going to use a technique which i've um which i picked up from like training from like back in the day basically if you say a thing like three times in a row 
it tends to build a strong memory. So listen up, y'all. Build through the trenches. Build, build through, through the, trenches. the trenches. Build, build through, the, through trenches. the trenches. Yep. This is going to be your mantra. Namaha. Build the trenches. <laughs> build through the trenches. Namaha. Build through the trenches. Namaha. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it should be. It should be for every GM, right? You could never go wrong with having a, with investing in really, really good offensive line and defensive line pieces. Just look at what most of the successful teams throughout history and recently have been doing. Howie right? Roseman, look at Howie. Yeah, not even just Howie Roseman, also Brett Veach of the Chiefs. Look at their offensive line improvements. Look at what the Bengals have well, somewhat the Bengals have done. Look <laughs> at what the 49ers did with the defensive line, right? Even if you look back throughout history, you'll see great offensive line and defensive lines controlling the narrative of those football teams. You start with, you know, you have the, you know, you have the Packers in the early years. Uh, you have uh, the Giants, the Steelers, the Raiders, the, um, you know, the Cowboys, the 49ers. And then on the defensive line, you have the, you have the Eagles, you have the Vikings, right? The purple people leaders, you have the Giants, um, and then, you know, so on and so forth, right? If you just keep moving throughout the years and throughout the decades, what has remained consistent throughout all of the offensive philosophy changes and defensive philosophy changes, maintaining strong offensive lines and defensive lines because they set the tone for the matches or for the games. If they are aggressive, then you're going to have a good contest, right? If your offensive line is aggressive and bull rushes the D-line, your offense is going to have an, especially your quarterback, is going to have a nice time in that pocket, mm -hmm. right? And it's going to have like a profoundly, like an exponential effect throughout the team. If your offensive line is good, that means your quarterback gets more time to throw. And if your quarterback gets more th time to throw, then the wide receivers are probably going to be in a better position to catch the ball. And if they're going to do that, then you're going to probably move the ball more down the field. Same thing goes for running, right? If your offensive line is really good at getting off their blocks and pushing the defensive uh, front seven out of the way, then your running back is going to have more success running the football. It doesn't matter what offensive scheme you're going to run. If you're going to run the ball, you need to have a good offensive line to run behind. Otherwise, your running back is most likely going to falter. Yeah. Right? Same thing for the D-line. If you want to stop the run, have a good D-line so that most of the run, uh, you know, most of the rushing stoppage happens right there and it doesn't get to the second level. Right? I don't know. I just, I, I would think that the Patriots of all teams would be the first people to realize that you have to invest in a good, uh, defensive line and I mean they did get Christian Barmore I will give them that they did draft Christian Barmore like two years ago um, I just don't know if, if they've done enough maybe they just need to invest even more um, just like the Packers need to do honestly like every year it seems like we're investing more and more into the D-line but it doesn't seem to work so maybe the coaching has a change maybe we're not drafting the right people right maybe we're not doing enough maybe the scheme but doesn't work Maybe the scheme doesn't work, right? There's so many factors that you could take into place on that. Right. But one thing that remains constant, you have to have to emphasize proper O-line, proper D-line. That's going Build to win. Through the trenches, namaha. Build through the trenches, namaha. Build through the trenches, namaha.
You remember yes. that mantra. Yes. But anyways, that's anyway. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's it for me from the Patriots. What about you, Doc Shark? Wow, that is a lot for the Patriots. Um, now with me, and this time, uh, um, my, uh, my focus is going to be spotlighted on the Buffalo Bills. Yes, Bills fan, Bills Mafia here, and I want to give a special shout out to a couple of people. Um, first of all, Cameron Stockman, um, Cameron Stockman, I believe that's his last name. Um, fellow Bills fan that I met at one Arena Football League game last year. He loves the Bills. He talks. He, he's a diehard Bills fan, and of course, my boss, uh, my um, my super boss, um, Andy. Um, he's, I believe, he's one of the top division directors in my um, organization that I work for. And just to name a few people, with this, the Buffalo Bills. What have they done? So, if you think about last year, Anand, um, they were they had a strong start, but then of course we. Um, then we saw the unfortunate injury with Damar Hamlin, and um, thank goodness he is still here. He's healthy and in color, but um, I'm just saying that I, I just, this for me personally, I just hope he steps away from football for one year so he could be fully recovered. And when he thinks he's ready to play, let's go ahead and do that. I want to give him one year. What do you think about that? One year. One year just to recuperate and rest up. Yeah, honestly, I mean, that was a horrific scenario that he was in. So I just wish him all the best and get him yeah. enough time to recover before yeah. coming onto the field. Whatever he's comfortable. Take as long as you want, my man. You were right. Exactly. Okay, and with this, we saw a huge number of acquisitions. Um, with, but mainly, it's uh, I'll, I'll give it a spoiler warning. So they were able to resign some of the, a lot of their members. So I'll only go through like the major portions, but... There were some notable free agents that I saw them pick up. For example, they picked up offensive guard Connor McGovern, three-year, $23 million from the Dallas Cowboys. Shocker, not. Um, Kyle Allen, backup QB, or I believe he's a picker, one-year, $1.23 million from the Texans. And they were able to, to get Leonard Floyd and Taylor Rapp, both from the Rams. Leonard Floyd, outside linebacker, Taylor Rapp. Safety. If you want more of those contract details, uh, make sure you listen to the last NFC. Make sure you listen to the NFC West breakdown. And oh, and and they were able to get um, a serviceable running back in Damian Harris, one year, one point seven seven million from the Patriots, who um, specify um, talked about just moments ago. But I did see a couple of um, people that they were able to keep. I'm not going to go into the contract breakdowns because there's a lot and there's so much that we need to talk about. Right, Anand? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with this, I'm going to give you a list. They were able to get keep Jordan Poyer for two years. Um, good, uh, uh, Like a serviceable safety. They were able to retain Shaq Lawson for another year and Jordan Phillips for another year. Um, they were able to extend Ed Oliver, which I thought was big, a defensive tackle for four years. Tyler Bass, who signed a four-year, $20 million contract extension. Then they were able to get cornerbacks, um, Cam Lewis and Dane, ja Dane Jackson, D-A-N-E, for, um, for one year. Um, so you have a couple, you have some depth that's serviceable. And then you get Sam Martin, three-year um, punter. So you and Matt Milano returns back, and they also signed, and they also got um, 
Mike Ike Bodiger for a one-year deal, contract extension. He plays guard. And, and I don't want to go into the necess necessity of that, but basically the Buffalo Bills were able to retain some of that core, some of the, the that defense or the offensive core that that's built upon this team, especially with Ed Oliver, Dane Jackson, Cam Lewis, and they're able to keep Sha get Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips back. Um, but I did like some of the extensions with um, like the people that they're able to get with um, Taylor Rapp and Leonard Floyd. Um, that yes, and also they kept Jordan Poyer because I thought safety was something that they needed to focus on, and they were able to somewhat cover it. And um, I thought the big one was Connor McGovern, offensive guard. You finally have some deep, some offensive protection, Josh Allen. Looking at you, boy. And um, and with that. Let's go into their draft picks. Now, we all saw the reaction that the, the Buffalo Bills were able to jump over the Dallas Cowboys by getting tight end Dalton Kincaid. I really like this pick because he because with Dawson Knox being banged up a lot of the times, you have a good pass catcher in Dalton Kincaid from the University of Utah. And then you have, and then what did they do on earth? What is the mantra that you build that you say? Do the trenches. Build through the, the trenches. Build through the trenches. They were able to get Osiris Torrance on this in the second round, which I thought was a really good, which was a really good play. He he will definitely he definitely adds in that defend that ed that depth. And then they also brought in a linebacker, interior linebacker Dorian Williams from Tulane, and wide receiver Justin Shorter. I don't know if is if he's because he's short. Um, no pun intended. No pun intended. Actually, Anna, don't hit me on this one. <laughs> and um, and the and um, and then they also brought in an offensive guard and a backup cornerback. Um, built in the seventh round. Some of the, so it looks like they and what I really although they were like what if you were if I were to count it like six six picks, they did. It is almost like they went through like their buffet line. Say, okay, let's try and get focus on the offensive line. Let's try and add a little bit more depth on the wide receiver because I do not think they have a strong wide receiver number three. I'll get to that point. And with and with some of the people that they released, Isaiah McKenzie, um, wide he was like quote unquote their third string wide receiver. Um, he is left with the Colts for a one year, two point four million, two point three million. Um, Tremaine Edward, Tremaine Edmonds, their line, their linebacker, their top linebacker and captain inside. He's now with the Bears for four years, seventy-two million. I think that's an absurd amount of money for linebackers. But I mean, if they, if this play is really good, then I think the Bears got a good one, along with T.J. Edwards and then Devin Singletary. I thought this was huge, Anand. They lose their star running back, Devin Singletary, to the Houston Texans running back for one year, two point seven five million. And now they have this. Now they have like a four rush. They basically have like four running backs. It's more like James Cook, the brother of Dalvin Cook. Um, yeah, they have like four number two running backs. Or four of, number two running backs. Yeah. yeah. Let's just keep it as that. Yeah. And then also, I thought this was kind of underrated. Jameson Crowder, he goes to New York Giants for a for like one year, one point three two million. That was so, a pretty big loss for me, I think, because Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie were decent number three and number fours, and now somebody else has to step up into that role. Right. right. I think it. I could. I think it could be Khalil Shakir, who was mm -hmm. um, 
I, who, who was that um, wide receiver from, from Boise State, I want to say. Um, just just um, correct me later on um, mm-hmm. in the episode. And uh, I and I, I think, like, and looking at the depth chart, you have Stephon Diggs, you have Gabe Davis, you have Khalil Shakir, Justin Shorter, Keyshawn Johnson, not the um, – not not um, – not that Keyshawn Johnson, not, not Keyshawn the ESPN Johnson. one. Who apparently, who, who apparently got laid off by ESPN. I was, I mean, like, break off that. Yeah, ESPN has been releasing a lot of big names. Jalen Rose being from the basketball side, Keyshawn Johnson, Max Kellerman, like they've lost big, a lot and of Rob money. Nikovich, yeah, they're, they're losing money. That's why. Yeah, um, I know there are other issues behind it, but like, man, those are like really good. Those were like really good analysts, except some of them who are like super biased. Mm-hmm. Um, ju- that's just my take. And but but um, also like I didn't see any particular trades because because I think except for like the NFL draft trades, there was switching out picks for picks. Um, but I mean, if I were to look at the depth chart, they look pretty damn stacked. Like, of course, center, I would have a question mark on it because you have Mitch Morris as your starting center. Then you have Greg Mansk. Who else is going to be inside? You can't assume, like, uh, I think they may need to get a third center j- just from my, just from experience-wise. You have to build up on the trenches. And um, Deion Dawkins, Spencer Brown, they're serviceable. But I do like um, that uh, getting Osiris Torrance and Nick Broker both on offensive guard. They could play left and right. Connor McGovern was definitely – he was really good with the Cowboys on the left guard side. I mean, based on what I've seen and um, and, hel- and him helping out on that left side, that's I think that was like one of the weak sides of Josh Allen, and this will really help out the run game def- tremendously. And with the staff, um, there were some there, – there's a big one. I think there was um, one big – change that i noticed that was leslie frazier he he was the buffalo the, the bills defensive coordinator um he left he um he's taking a break from football for like a year sean mcdermott is going to try and call the defense what do you okay. first what do you think about that i think it's it's good because he has more control over the defense and i would trust him more as a defensive coordinator hopefully that can improve their pass rush i I know you're going to talk about this a little bit later but i I like this idea i don't to be honest i don't know about if this is going to be a good idea or not here's my take on it because usually you'd want the defensive coordinator to like focus on that defensive plays if you know you can trust him to make those changes perfect but with frazier being gone and having a lot of that experience and i know sean mcdermott will want to go switch more on that defense because remember he is a disciple of the late Eagles legend Jim Johnson, the defensive coordinator who built upon that, who let, who said like attack through the blitzes. And if you want to know a, a famous name under Jim Johnson, look at Steve Spagnolo, defensive coordinator mm-hmm. for the Kansas City Chiefs. Gotcha. And Sean McDermott, being a disciple of that, he remember like this is not his own is his um this is not only his defensive coordinating coaching gig before he's done this before in Seattle I believe no not in Seattle I think that was Gus Bradley but shoot I forget where he has been like a couple of years but he's been everywhere and he's gathered a lot of such experience so it'd be very interesting to see how he shapes up this defense I know they're basically 
they're on a base four three defense. But sometimes I've seen and I've seen them go like uh, I I have yet to look at what will their new formation be under um Jim jo- uh, under um Sean McDermott. But with that, let's get to the areas of improvement. Their offense was previously second ranked offense in DVOA. They were second in passing. Well, I'm not surprised with Josh Allen throwing the ball multiple times. And they were 11th in the rushing, which I thought was very, very um, interesting to say the least because I think their offensive line, their offense should have been a little bit lower because hear me out, Anant. You're going to, you're going to, oh, wow. There's like a little bit of thunderstorm back in Albany. So if you're hearing rumbling, that, that is why. So I think like with run blocking, they were, um, as Anant was explaining, their basic offensive line, their power success with the run block was 77%, but they were, but their offensive line overall was ranked number 13, according to Football Outsiders. And with that, like Devin Singletary being your only primary rusher, and unfortunately, the Bills did not rely, have a strong running game to begin with because they had a shaky offensive line and they had to rely on Josh Allen playing Superman multiple times. You know what I mean from that? Like there were some mm-hmm. games where I saw where I, I think there were like certain gaps that they could have utilized with the run game, but instead it was Josh Allen trying to do like some reverse bootleg and it ended up failing miserably. Like, if you want more context on this, I'm pulling up the Buffalo. Like, if you want to rank this, like, according to ESPN, like the Buffalo Bills were are actually a top seven team. They were they were rushing 139.5 rushing yards per game, but most of them came through the legs of Josh Allen and 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 a little bit of Devin Singletary. This is going to be very interesting now because how are you going to manage four, on as Anand says, four number two running backs? Are you, am I going to see James Cook be involved in more like be like have like designated roles? Are we going to see James Cook being like the power run, or see or Damien a combination of James Cook and Damien Harris, and then you have Latavius Murray a little bit of that speed option, and. I haven't seen a lot of Naheem Himes lately. I've seen, I know that there was a lot of hype with him when he was with the Colts, but he was overshadowed due to Jonathan Taylor. But honestly, I don't know how they're going to build on that run game, but it needs to work. And if you want to go into more of the metrics, like, of course, this is some stats I found on ESPN. Did you know that their offensive line run block rate is ranked second, 22nd in the NFL? And run block win rate. Yeah, that's not good. They're behind the Miami Dolphins. This is a spoiler. They're behind the Dolphins. They're one spot behind it. And how is offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey going to pull this off? Because I do not want to see Josh Allen like getting hurt. Because he may go. Because the last time we saw someone do pull, pull try to play hero ball with his legs was Cam Newton. And unfortunately, it, it did not work. It's not going to work. And second of all, who's going to be your number two, three wide receiver? Like, what's the situation with Stefan Diggs? Like, are you hearing the thunder from the back, Anand? Not really, no. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. By the way, it's like for those that are like um keeping tabs on the weather, like I'm hearing like rain outside. Or like I'm hearing like thunderstorms or like some kind of like lightning, but oh by the way, there's a flood watch happening, just FYI. There's a flood uh -oh. watch. Uh -oh. <laughs> I think Bill's fans are angry like that. Like, wait, what's going on? Right <laughs> and honestly, like, think about it. Like, I don't know. Do you know what the situation is with Stefan Diggs? Like, I know he was holding out on his contract, but pay the man, like, satisfy him if you need to. If you need to break the bank, go ahead. Because right now, I'm looking at their I'm looking at their depth chart. Stefan Diggs, Khalil Shakir. Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, and yes, Gabe Davis, that's not going to cut it. And Gabe Davis has faltered for some bits times. I know he had some big plays later on in the season, but just because he's that deep threat. But when it counts, he has not been able to execute. And 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 also, Ken Dorsey, the, and, and it goes back to the offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey needs to show some creativity. And Josh Allen, of all people, you know, and... and and Josh Allen should try to stop throwing the ball to the other team. Remember, those that don't have the Bills logo, that is the bad team. <laughs> like, yes, did you like what? Tell me about Josh Allen. Like, did you see him? Ah, uh, I mean, talking about Josh Allen, like, I want to love the guy, but he can be so frustrating sometimes. You know what I mean? He had 35 touchdowns, 74 interceptions. I mean, 35 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He was sacked 33 times in the regular season. 98 was his long, was one of the like the longest passing year. Was that longest pass? But it's not gonna count. It's not gonna cut it. It is not gonna cut it. Getting mm -hmm. sacked 33, 33 times. That offensive line needs to be. Needs to like help out, and luckily, with the help of Con with Connor McGovern coming in, that that should be um and have and signing assign getting assigned Torrance and Nick Broker. You're adding some depth, and maybe adding in Damian Harris. That I think that could help a little bit, but I don't see that much. Ken Dorsey needs to be a little bit more more um creative, and this is this is the same Ken Dorsey who was part of that. Champ, it was like a long. It was one of those like long time championship um, Miami, Miami um, Hurricane squad back in the nineties or the two thousands. I, God, I feel so old talking about Ken Dorsey when I remember that name alone. But like, the guy's got to step up. And that's what needs to happen. And and then moving on to the defensive side, I think this is going to be the biggest question mark I have. So. They were previously the fourth-ranked defensive DVOA. They were eighth against the pass, and apparently, I want to say third against the rush. I had to refresh it a couple of times because I wasn't sure if I was reading this right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, 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 oh, wait, no, I actually have the correction. They were eighth, yeah, eighth against the pass, third against the rush. And, and a lot, and, and of course, they were really good against the run in the regular season, but then they real, but then they only had like thirty-two percent in stopping the run, which is, I mean, would you consider that okay at best? Sorry, can you say that again? You were cut. Okay, so ESPN, their pat, ESPN's um run run stopping rate, uh -huh. run stop win rate, they recorded the Bills to be thirty-two percent. 
Okay, but what is that ranked in? That's ranked in... Oh, no, they were ranked seventh. So that's very good. That's very good. But but I honest but but it, but like for stopping the run, like they had multiple injuries go throughout. They had Von Miller being out, but now that you're bringing Tremaine Edwards and Miller coming back, and also having Leonard Floyd come in, that should help a little bit more. But against the pass, they were ranked eleventh, forty three percent in pat in the pass rush. So. I I think that you need to get to the QB early on, and with Sean McDermott, I don't know if he, if it's going to get over his head. But they still have the same core. They still have um Greg. They have, still have Greg Rousseau. They still have Ed Oliver. They have. They now have a monster rotation that they can try and go. They could go with like Leonard Floyd, um, Leonard Floyd, and and now they have like. Matt Leonard Floyd, Matt Milano, and um, AJ Klein. They're definitely going to be a three linebacker. So one of them could be playing it as an extra edge. Then having Greg Russo, Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, and Von Miller. Von Miller coming back, but also Shaq Lawson to re-sign him. And oh, and by the way, they got Puna Ford as their as their other um, defensive tackle behind Jordan Phillips. So having that rotation helps. I mean, you're building up that that uh, that defensive line. If they can attack, get to the quarterback easily, and first stop, no, first stop the run and get to that quarterback. This will definitely help your corners and Tre'Davious White and Kyer Elam. Tre'Davious White is coming back from an injury, but also getting Taylor Rapp, re-signing Cam Lewis, that really, really helps. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do in the offseason. But Sean McDermott, he has to learn how to balance it. These are some of the things I. I thought uh, I think that the Bills should need to watch out for. They're both on offense and defense. So th that's my take. Alrighty, alrighty. Well done. Well done analysis. Now let's move on to the Jets. And we're gonna try and keep this short as we have been running out of time. Alrighty. So for the Jets, what can they do? Well, first of all, let's talk about what they did. They acquired Alan Lazard, the Lizard King from the Packers. They acquired Randall Cobb, a wide receiver from the Packers. They acquired Adrian Amos, a safety from the Packers. They acquired Billy Turner, a tackle from the Broncos, who was there before on the Packers. They also uh, let go of Michael Fleur, and they brought in Nathaniel Hackett from the Packers. Why? Because they got Aaron Rodgers. From the Packers. Um, we could just clearly see that. The New York Jets Packers. Yes, the New York Packers. That's what they need to be called now. Uh, their defense is all Jets players. Their offense is all Packers players, except for a couple people here and there. Um, not to say that they haven't brought in other players. They did bring in Wes, uh, Wes Schweitzer, a guard from the Commanders. McCole Hardman, wide receiver from the Chiefs and a couple of other backups. Uh, in terms of retaining their in-home talent, they did retain Greg Zerline, uh, Solomon Thomas, defensive end, Connor McGovern, who is not the same Connor McGovern from the Dallas Cowboys, but he's a different Connor McGovern who's also a guard, uh, and then a couple of other backups, all to one-year deals. Now let's talk about their draft. 
they obviously traded for Aaron Rodgers, and that was, you know, giving up the number 13th overall pick while getting a second round pick back. So, <clears throat> um, they drafted Will McDonald, a edge rusher, quote unquote, outside uh, from Iowa State with the number 15th overall pick. Then they drafted Joe Tipman, a starting center in uh, the second round. Carter Warren, an offensive tackle in the fourth, and then a couple of backups, so on and so forth. And then they actually drafted Zach Koontz, a tight end out of Old Dominion in the seventh round. Well, Anand, I have um, breaking the Makedar news according to ESPN right now. Okay. Let me just release it really quickly. There's been rumors that the Tennessee Titans have been, are now have been more aggressive at this point than the New England Patriots in pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver, according to ESPN's Mike Reese. That is all good. Ooh. Ooh, okay. Well, that's going to be a story for the AFC South to see where that goes because if they do land D Hop, things change. It's, things it's change a rumor the at outlook. the moment. Yeah. It is a rumor at the moment. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't go for D Hop. I mean, they need, a, they need a number one receiver badly. Okay. But yeah. All right. So, going back to the Jets. They released Nathan Shepard. They released Nate Herbig. James Robinson, they also released, who was on the Jaguars, who had a really good 1,000-yard season. Then he went to the Jets, and then he was just released. They released Mike White, famous MVP QB for one game, um, who like outdueled one of the best quarterbacks, and he threw for like 400 yards. Surprising. And then, obviously, they traded for Aaron Rodgers. So, they made a lot of moves, especially on offense. And here's why. They were god-awful. They were 26th in overall DVOA, 24th in the past, and 25th running. Yeah. They oh were not god. good. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, it was if all, you, if you, all with the quarterback as well. Yeah, if you look at it, it is really the quarterback play that really messed it up. So, I mean, I wouldn't be that surprised that they're that low given that, you know, they had a terrible, terrible quarterback situation. Um, But it seems like they need to improve both, not just the passing offense, but also their running offense too, rushing-wise. Rushing but first, before we get to that, Let's talk about their passing offense and why they needed to improve. So, it's not their receivers. And it's kind of not their scheme. Because they were 11th in completed air yards per completion. They were 12th ranked in yak per completion. But, and they were 11th in the, uh, 11th lowest in the drop percentage. So clearly, it's not a wide receiver issue. And it's not a scheme issue. It is a quarterback issue because they were dead last in on-target percentage they were, and they were second highest in bad throw percentage. So basically, the QB did not, how to throw, did not know how to throw the football. He didn't know how to throw the football to the correct uh, locations. Which QB? Didn't know. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Zach Wilson, uh, controversial player to say the least. Judge, judge. Mm-hmm. 
But it's also an offensive line issue because they had the 10th highest pressure percentage and they were 17th ranked in uh, adjusted sack rate. So that's it from the pass side. It's really a quarterback and offensive line issue. And you've seen that they've made the effort to do that. Now, let's see if they can actually improve. But they have made the pieces. Uh, They've made the moves uh, to resurrect that passing offense. Um, especially that quarterback offense. Um, Rushing-wise, they were terrible. I mean, they were 32nd, dead last in adjusted line yards. They were 24th in power rank, 30th in stuff rank, 25th in second level, and 21st in RB yards. Good Lord! So, overall, they just stunk. Their offensive line stunk, um, and the running backs weren't that great but they were ninth in open field rank so more effort was done by the running backs especially Brees hall who was a fantastic candidate for uh rookie of the offensive rookie of the year for on the afc side who played for seven games and had a had a running back uh yards per carry average of like 5.9 or something ridiculous like that but he got injured with the torn acl so, yeah, let's see how they can improve when he comes back. And um, you, know, you want to know who won that Offensive Rookie of the Year? Yeah. Garrett yeah, Wilson. Wilson. Yep. yep. Which begs the question, how with this atrocious line did Garrett Wilson become an Offensive Player of the Year? Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's just that good. Like, he's just that good. I mean, like, good lord! I feel for the kid. Yeah. So bad this O line. Yeah, and it's not just the O line. You know, it's it's the quarterback play. Uh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Um. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, to the defense. So now we know from the offense, they need to just improve improve overall, right? Passing-wise, quarterback play, offensive line play, running back-wise, offensive line play. Now they did bring in Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett and his two trusted receivers. They also brought in a couple of offensive linemen to see if that can solve the issue. So we'll see if they can actually be a top 10 um, offense now. Now, moving on to their defense, a surprising showing. They were fifth overall in DVOA, fourth against the pass, and 10th against the rush. And more positive news, they had the toughest schedule faced in terms of opposing offensive DVOA. They had the number one toughest schedule. If you look at someone like the 49ers, they were ranked 26th in in terms of opposing schedule. So it really goes to show this defense was fantastic against some really capable, competent, explosive offenses. And passing-wise, it's really the star of the show, right? They had the best secondary group ranking and the defensive rookie of the year in Sauce Gardner. They were ranked a second in adjusted net yards allowed uh, per attempt, fifth in expected points, 18th in interception percentage. That's only low because they weren't. Uh, they didn't really 
of forced turnovers, but they were locked down. So I think, in my opinion, being locked down coverage is a turnover in essence, right? Like if you're locked down secondary group, you have a higher chance of uh, getting the ball back uh, to your uh, offense. Obviously, it's not that great if you you know if you don't have turnovers, but it's it's good. It's it's okay because they were first in touchdown percentage, allowed touchdown percentage. So that was really good. And then ninth in completion percentage allowed. Now the big blow is, as uh, Rakshak mentioned before, Chuck Clark has an ACL tear. So we really need to see who fills that um, free safety position. Now, rushing-wise, they need to improve a little bit on that. They were 12th in adjusted line yards, 14th in power, 14th in stuff, 10th in second level, and 16th in open field. So really, it's the whole front seven that has to change. And that's why they drafted Will McDonald, who's a great athletic edge setter. And that's exactly what they need in the run game. right? If their defensive line improves in the run game, then their front seven is automatically going to improve in the run game. Their linebackers are going to improve as well. So that's why they drafted someone like Zaire Barnes. So they've made the moves. Let's just see if they can put pen to paper, so to speak. Now, Basically, that's it from the Jets. Exactly. If they can walk the walk, then let's see how they do it. Mm-hmm. Moving All on right. to the Dolphins. Last but not least, we have the Miami Dolphins. Yay. They did a lot during this free agency. Did you notice? The biggest move I have to talk about, that trade with the L.A. Rams. Jalen Ramsey being traded away to, like from the Rams to an already good secondary with the Dolphins. Now the Dolphins have a great upgrade in defensive coordinator, which I will get to in a bit. Jalen Ramsey, cornerback, three-year, $55 million. Like... Bro, let, I, I, I just want to uh, let me sign me to a big deal in the NFL and I don't need to play. That's all. Just give me the money. <laughs> mm-hmm. But definitely his accolades speak for himself. I mean, Super Bowl champion. I mean, although he is still, although there's been some decline, he's still, he's still like one of the best corners in the, sh- in the shutdown category. And another one was Robbie Anderson. You know his new name is now Robbie Chosen Anderson or Chosen Robbie Anderson? He's not chosen yet. I'm still calling him Robbie Anderson. Yes. Yeah. Wide receiver, one year, 1.32 million from the Panthers slash Cardinals because of that inside trade. Um, I think like with I think with this, um, it definitely adds more room. They were able to re-sign Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson, aka X what Niners running backs from a period long ago. They did get Brexton Berrios from the Jets for a one for a one year deal. Jake Bailey punter from the Patriots for another one year deal. <laughs> and running back Miles Gaskin resigns for another one year deal. <laughs> Which I cut. And then they were able to restructure contracts with Tyreek Hill, Turn Armstrong, and Bradley Chubb. I'm not gonna get into the minor de- to the details of this. Um, there's a lot of math being a lot of money being involved in it, but there's a lot to talk about. And the draft, and I want to talk about this. They were able to, they only had like four picks, but it was, it's very interesting the way how they were selected. Second round, they got Cam Smith, 
serves one of the lengthier cornerbacks from South Carolina. I had him as a as an early second, late third, but um, but he's serviceable at best. But um, I think that adds up to that secondary that the Dolphins have, and then. And, and another interesting one they got was Devon Devon Ashane, um, running back, more more built like a fullback or halfback from Texas A&M. Those Aggies over there. Um, and then Elijah Higgins, running back. I mean, wide receiver from Stanford in the sixth round, and Ryan Hayes, offensive tackle from Michigan. So all I know is about the De the Devon Ashane pick. Um, I know that he has a lot of. Well, looking into his um, tape a long time back, he does have a lot of speed to work with, and it, it it is a very interesting signing. I mean, it's a very interesting pickup, and he now and he's basically going to be playing third or fourth string behind Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. So it'll be very interesting to see how Mike McDaniel uses this up, uses him. Um, but there were a couple of releases that happened, um, but first. Center Mike Pouncey has retired from the NFL, has re announced his retirement. So Connor Williams, um, center, takes over now takes over. Then you have um, Eric Rowe, center, um, safety for the pan the safety. Eric Rowe goes to the Panthers. Byron Jones being released as a, a corner, um, and then outside linebacker Melvin Ingram being released as well. As a free, he's they're both in the free agency. Then Thomas Morstead, punter, he goes to the Jets. And outside linebacker Alandon Roberts, two-year, seven million to the Steelers. And unfortunately, I and I don't think I think the only biggest trade that I saw was the Jalen Ramsey pickup, in which they traded um, Hunter Long and a third-round pick to the Rams in exchange for Jalen Ramsey. So that there was that. But now let's get to the staff. Mike McDaniels in the second year. They were able to get seven new hires, two offensive, five defense. But here's the biggest one, Anant. You got to know. Vic Fangio is their new defensive coordinator. <laughs> what do you think about that? <laughs> what do you think about that? I know you have a couple of thoughts, but um, I really like that hire. I mean, they needed some experience in that. In that like, Not saying that their defense was terrible, but their defense did give up a lot of yardage, especially down in the playoffs uh, time. So they need some more maturity. And I think Vic Fangio provides that, especially coming off, you know, the Broncos who have been fantastic and stellar. Oh, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, selection from them. Oh, 100%. And you know what? I'm happy for Vic Fangio. But you want to know the one thing I have a gripe on Vic, for Vic Fangio? He used to be the previous Eagles defensive consultant that one year when the Eagles made went to the Super Bowl, but he could have been the defensive coordinator if it weren't for Jonathan Gannon. You stupid, stupid man. I hate you, Gannon, for all that tampering. Had that tampering not happened, Vic Fangio would have been a defensive coordinator. Just like that. It could happen, but no. But we do get a disciple in Sean Desai, who we will mention a lot about him in the NFC East. I'm I'm just pissed at Jonathan Gannon. Everything he touches turns to turns to 
to um turn sin to nothing. He's 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 basically the Voldemort Hor he's a Voldemort Horcrux. Okay, enough ranting about Jonathan Gannon. Uh but like big Fangio, what a huge pickup. And we gotta talk about the Dolphins. And okay, did you did you know that that um the and speaking about the the passing game, like first of all, you have to protect the quarterback. What is it that I said before, Anand? Please remind the Dolphins. Build through the trenches. Build through the trenches. And Build through the trenches. Yes, and with that, I'm not sure if they did that because looking at because right now, like I'm seeing, like uh, you have to protect Tua from getting in, from getting killed on the field. Did you see? And the game I'm going to be talking about was last year, Miami versus Cincinnati. Remember when he was knocked out of the game and he was frozen on the field for some time before he had some movement and he had and he was basically ruled himself out because of a concussion. It's because of that offensive line. They need to see better play from the mm -hmm. offensive line. And and and, the, and you want to know what their pass block win rate was? 55%. That is not very good. I don't even need to look at the ranking, but 45% of the time, you're going to see Tua get killed or knocked out. You can't do that. And you had this QB rotation with Skylar Thompson and Mike White, who's MVP Mike White for that one year. Still crazy to this day, but it was insane. But like the way that when, but um, when Miami was like passing the ball, if you notice from week eight to week twelve, did you know that Tua completed seventy-two percent of his passes, thirteen touchdowns, zero interceptions, had a QB rating of one point one hundred thirty-four point one seven. Did you notice that? Did you know that? No, I didn't. And but that's like insane. That what happens if you have good offensive line? If you have like good plays like that, that's how the offensive line helps. And and I think like and but however, Mike uh, Miami uh, the O line had a seventy one percent run block win rate, which is twenty first in the NFL according to ESPN. Remember, they're ahead of the Bills, but. And I could think, think Devon Ashane could help the backfield of Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. Miami can go. I think I can see Miami go like and build again with Jeff Wilson, Raheem Mostert. But I want to see a little bit more of Ashane. And also get your plays quicker. Did you know that the Dolphins were tied tied the third most in delay of games? That's just a fact. Now with the defense, they were 15 ranked DVO in 15 ranked in in defensive DVOA. They were 25th against the pass and 4th against the rush. I was shocked about that stat. Like they were able to stop the run against some some good teams, but now they but they were 25th against the rush, against the pass. So, now with Vic Fangio coming in, you're going to be seeing a little bit more of a 3-4 defense and now they have a lot of rotation with Bradley Chubb, um Jordan Phillips, Emmanuel Ogba, Malik Reed, and the new addition of Andrew Van Ginkle. And you have a huge up, huge uh, upgrade in the secondary with Jalen Ramsey. So you still rank seventh and second among the 57, according to PFF, 50, 57 cornerbacks in coverage grade, 90.4. And he 
and it averaged like less than what a yard per coverage snap. But going on a three four on a base three four defense and having that rotation would a great coach like Vic Fangio. Damn, this Miami defense is going to be hella scary on them. Like, it, I'm actually going to be worried about this about this team. And I have a beat the dome moment. I think they could well well well, well take over the AFC East in a couple of years. If they're able to be healthy, they're able to rely on that run game and that offensive line. And God, that defense is going to look so scary with Vic Fangio. And knowing how he's going to bring in some of those blitzes, but he's, he'll try and bring pressure with that three and that three four alignment. But I could see him bring pulling pulling an edge rusher in. Oh my God, dude! Like I'm actually going to be scared about this Miami defense now. Like, give me like yeah. your only I mean, thought well on said. that. I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. I really like how they brought in Vic Fangio and Jalen Ramsey, and they're really, really pushing on um, on this defense. And I have a sneak peek as to exactly what I think about the Dolphins oh, um, let's, and let's the Dolphins defense later on. Let's go for so, it. So, yeah. So now that concludes the breakdown of the AFC East division per team. Now we're going to move on to the projected division rankings. For me... <laughs> I see a three-way tie for the lead in this division. No one wins. <laughs> no one wins. The Bills are 11 and 6. The Dolphins are 11 and 6. The Jets are 11 and 6 and the Patriots are 7 and 10. So the reason why is because I don't think especially the top three with the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Jets. I don't think any team is more dominant than the other team in terms of its strengths and weaknesses in the regular season. Like, if you look at the AFC West division, it's clearly the Chiefs division, right? The, the, there's no denying it. There's you no, look at the... Yeah. Chiefs yeah. and then Chargers. No. I Like, Chargers may compete within a game, like against the Chiefs, but really it's the Chiefs that own the division, right? It, it's like nobody else is going to challenge them for the division lead is what I meant. Okay. Oh, easy. yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and then if you look at the AFC North, it's a little bit more contested with the Bengals and the, and, and the Ravens, but it's not, you know, it's going to creep up tight. them Steelers. Them right. Steelers. Yes. yes. They're now going they're to the Super Bowl. Steelers are going to go to the Super Bowl. This yes. is called for your name, tree. Remember, yes. folks, Steelers will go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but unlike those divisions, the AFC East is a team uh, is a division where no team is really greater than the other. If you take a look at the Bills, they have you know they have been leading the division for the past couple of years, so they have some experience on that. But they also have their weaknesses, right? They don't have a a, a properly structured offense. Uh, that's not just on Josh Allen, right? And their defense can hit, hit and miss, right? If you look at the, yeah, if you look at the Dolphins, they're really good. They're explosive, right? But maybe they don't. They don't have enough playoff experience like the Bills do. The Jets, their defense is fantastic, but Aaron Rodgers is coming new completely, so they have to rebuild the offense essentially from the past holdover. So and like, you got a new offensive corner in, in Nathaniel Hackett, so that's right too. Right, right. So 
each team has their own list of strengths and weaknesses, and not one team is greater than the other, like dominantly speaking. So that's why I think either it's a three-way tie or it's an extremely close affair between those three teams. I just don't see the Patriots competing with these three teams this year. They, I just don't see them having done enough. Maybe their defense will keep them in games. That's why I have them at 7 and 10. Maybe they go even. They break even at like 9 and 8. But okay. I just don't really see them being that positive. Um, so, yeah, the Bills tying with the Dolphins and the Jets. I think the Bills still take the division over a hair's breadth, right? But I see all three teams qualifying for the playoffs. I do mm. see that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, what about you? I am. I had a different take. I had the Bills. I had the right idea, but I had the Bills going twelve and five. They win at least one of their local games. I mean, one of the, one of the games on the road, like outside of their division. And and then oh, and then between the Jets and the Dolphins, it was really really hard. And it could go either way. Jets. I had the Jets going eleven and six in second place. I had the Dolphins going nine and eight. Hear me okay. out. The Dolphins, it ba- it's all based on the quarterback. If Tua can stay healthy, they I think they can win the, these two extra games. And the Jets, they could fall behind because it all depends upon like if because Aaron Rodgers is not getting any younger. And Nathaniel Hackett's offensive scheme is gonna be a little bit new on what the the, the young Jets players are gonna be focused more on, right? Mm-hmm. And and because and, and now that you have like a plethora of weapons with the Jets, like basically the entire Green Bay Packers offense wide receiving core, you don't know how that's gonna mesh well. And if that can be applied well. And then the Patriots are just in free fall, in my point of view. So I had the Bills winning the division 12 and 5. The Jets second, which can be subjected to change, they're 11 and 6. Then I got the Dolphins going nine and eight. I and it all depends if Tua can stay healthy. I can I'll give them those other two wins, and they have the lead over the Jets. And I have the Patriots dead last, six and eleven. Yeah, because there's there's no way that they can pull muster off like a playoff, like a, a a team that can lead to the playoffs right now. They don't have that offense yet. I mean, they did the right thing by getting away Matt Patricia, who's now with the Eagles of all teams. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I think with Bill O'Brien, it does. I mean, he basically, I think he was one of the coordinators that helped out with um, Mac Jones back in the day. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if he, I it, think it, he was in Alabama. He was in Alabama during that time. So Mac yeah. Jones now had made they may bring the Alabama running back game, but I doubt I don't remember college offenses may not work in the NFL a lot of the time. Yeah, seeing that happen with the Eagles when they tried it with Chip Kelly. It didn't work. It it worked for one season, but then they were able to adapt to it quickly. Boom. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, I have the Bills, Jets, Dolphins, and Patriots in that order. Okay, okay. So, it's interesting. We agree with the division leader and we agree with the division bottom. We just don't agree with the people in the middle and the the difference. Yeah. Yeah. All righty.
So there you guys have it. Now moving on to the last segment of this episode, the boom and bust player segment. For me, as I mentioned before, as you mentioned, the Dolphins making moves and having a scary defense. I think that's going to help Bradley Chubb become a dark horse, uh, uh, a candidate for defensive player of the year. Oh, moment right here. No, 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 no. I'm not that confident. But I'm just saying he's going to have a boom year this year. Okay. He is already, he was already 14th in pressures and passer rating allowed. Uh, sorry, yeah. He was 14th in pressures at, I think, 32 in the entire uh, NFL last year, which is actually very good considering that he was in two teams, right? Um, and he had, I think, eight sacks. Surprising thing. His pass rating allowed was 59.2. For Ooh. reference, Nick Bosa, who was the defensive player of the year, allowed 79.2. So exactly 20 points higher than what Bradley Chubb allowed in the passing game as an outside linebacker. And especially for the Miami Dolphins, especially for Vic Fangio, who has a relationship with Bradley Chubb since Bradley was in... The, oh, uh, in Denver, Broncos. exactly. He he was a Bronco during the time that uh, Vic Fangio had coached. They also run a three-four defense, which is what Bradley Chubb excels in as an outside pass rusher, right? Outside linebacking pass rusher. So, I think this is going to be a boom year for him. I expect double-digit sacks. I th I think he's gonna you know contend for the defensive player of the year. I really do. I'm really positive on Bradley Chubb. And for me, my bust is Garrett Wilson. Mm. And I don't think it's it's like he's going to have a terrible year, but he's going to have a less effective season because there are just more mouths to feed. And it's Aaron yeah. Rodgers. You've seen that Aaron Rodgers consistently goes towards targets that he's most comfortable with. And what did the Jets do? They got Alan Lazard. They got Randall Cobb. They got Nathaniel Hackett. So, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's going to build an offense that is extremely comfortable for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is going to be extremely comfortable with players who who's who he's already built chemistry with. That's not Garrett Wilson. That's Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb. So when stuff hits the fan, I think he's going to go more likely towards Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb than Garrett Wilson or Corey Davis or any of the other players that they have. That's why I think Garrett Wilson is going to have a less effective year than last year because there's just more targets, right? They're just more targets, and it's what Aaron Rodgers is most comfortable will, comfortable with. We'll see in the first couple of games. If Aaron Rodgers targets Garrett Wilson a lot, then we know that Garrett Wilson is going to be you know in the mix for building chemistry with uh, Aaron Rodgers, and they're going to be really high-flying. But if he doesn't really target that much, then it is more indicative that you know Garrett Wilson will not have the same year that he had last year. It's just going to take some more time for him to build that rapport with Aaron Rodgers. So that's why I think Garrett Wilson is my bust. But yeah, that's it for me. What about you? Nice. I have my boom player as the returning Vaughn Miller. He's coming okay. back. He's coming back from injury, and I think he's hungry for. I think he's hungry for it. And I, but and then again, the additions that the Bills got, like re-strengthening that, 
uh, that original defensive line and getting Leonard Floyd in, it adds more of that rotation for Von Miller to for Von Miller. And um, I know, like, I don't know how old he is at the moment, but if you want to look, if you want to get an idea who the hell Von Miller is, I mean, of course, he only had like in in his previous time with the Bills, he only had twenty one. Um, 21 combined tackles, three assists, and had, had nearly had like eight sacks in in that season before he got injured. But he is ready to, but he's ready to be on that field. If he's able to pull like eight sacks, if he's able to like get to like get onto the field with this new look defense that Sean McDermott's going to run for one year, I think he's going to be benefiting out of that. And it, and also, if he's not ready yet, that's okay because. There'll be a rotational piece in mind now that Leonard Floyd's on the team. He provides that experience. Now, my bust is going to be um, Dolphins wide receiver backups, not named Tyreek Hill nor um, Jalen Waddle. I'm thinking, I'm trying to look at Cedric Wilson Jr. I know he's like a backup, backup wide receiver, but now with Robbie Anderson being added to that as a wide receiver threat, I'm not calling him chosen. But then also you have the addition of Braxton Berrios, who was serviceable with the Jets, and he also had that special teams effect. Cedric Wilson, he only had a couple of good years when he was with the Cowboys. And um, and it's land, and you want to know stats for last season: 12 receptions, 136 yards, zero touchdowns. So it was basically almost like dink and dime passes. And I doubt if he's going to be a good fantasy pickup. And I could, I think I could see him being cut. But then again, it's all up to see what we see in training camp. All righty. So, yeah, that's it from us uh, for this episode. We've had a lot of interesting conversations about this AFC East division. And it's definitely an entertaining division, to say the least, to see what type of drama comes up, how the teams face, what happens this year. Shout so, out to Mafia, and please do not power bomb me into a table. I spoke good. <laughs> I, I highly spoke good for good of you guys. Exactly. Alrighty. So, if you guys have any questions, leave us a review at one of the four uh, podcast platforms that we host this podcast on: Apple, Google, Spotify, or Pocket Cast, or send us an email at nflmasala at gmail.com, spelled as nfl m a s a l a at gmail.com. Or, Rakshak, what can they do? They can also follow us on our Instagram page. All lowercase. This is all lowercase. N-F-L-M-A-S-A-L-A-2022. Again, that is all lowercase. N-F-L-M-A-S-A-L-A-2022. And we'll hit you with our signature outro. Go Pack Go. And fly, Eagles, fly. Take care, stay safe, and have a nice day.